This is the New Earthings Podcast, helping conscious leaders to create high-impact businesses that reach millions and access a new level of freedom in all areas of their lives. I'm Ana Maria Moreno, the CEO of Capal, and I'll be exploring with you how we can apply ancestral wisdom to elevate business and create a ripple of change. Victor, it's such a pleasure to have you here today uh, on this podcast. It's really exciting. You're not just an amazing friend, uh, a coachee, but also such an inspiring CEO and somebody that I really admire in shaping the world and the future. So thank you for coming. Thank you for being here and for your time. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to have this conversation. So. Uh, to get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to being the, the CEO of Omica? Yeah, so um, I was born naked and crying. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm here. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I think it's been, a, it's been, hasn't been a straight line, that's for sure. But um, I definitely think it's been very spiral-like in the sense that the more the time goes by, the more I realize how connected uh, the journey is, right? So everything in, in, in retrospect starts making a bit more sense the more time goes by, um, which has been, I think, a crucial part of my, I guess, personal journey and personal learnings is also to trust, you know, even when things don't make sense, that eventually they will make sense uh, in retrospect. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I started out, I mean, I was born here, born and raised here in Mexico City, not too far from, from where we are. And the, both of my parents are doctors or physicians or in the health field. And I, I guess I was really exposed from a very young age to health and allocating your time or your energy to helping people heal. Um, but I was always very personally drawn to nature. And over time, I started to see... Uh, this gap between human health and environmental health or planetary health in which they were seen as two very separate entities when in reality they're deeply intertwined. Um, So it was through a lot of personal experiences and a lot of unlearning and a lot of um, basically crashing and burning that this connection became ever more evident. And then through the pandemic, I had the chance of living out in nature for the first time in my life. You know, I was born here in Mexico City, lived in New York for almost a decade. And then I decided to escape the city and go finally live in nature. And that's sort of when everything clicked, right? Having having taken the space for myself to, to connect with that intuition or to even have the space to simply listen to what life was saying. Uh, was very clear that there was a that the connection was more profound than than I originally uh, allowed myself to see, mm-hmm. um, and and that kind of brought me back into this inspiration, or I started feeling this drive to to start acting again, I'm uh, building again, um, and sort of going out of that hiatus, and that's when I founded uh, both Omica, which is a, a company that studies the human genome, 
and the Entheogen Genome Project, which also studies the DNA of uh, entheogenic plants and fungi. You mentioned that uh, you saw this vision of how human and planetary healing aren't separate. They're, they're really one. What is that vision and why? What is, what is the unity that you see? Well, I think that we, or at least I, was raised in a, in a world where it's very anthropocentric, right? It's very human-centered. Everything's about us and humans thriving. And sometimes nature plays a role in that. Uh, but in reality, I started seeing that or realizing how, I guess, how profoundly intertwined these systems really are. Right? It's when we think of human systems, uh, how we feed ourselves, how we live, you know, how the built environment, uh, agriculture, etc. Um, thinking of it as an engineer, which is my background, is really the highest efficiency in these systems is when everything is in coherence and everything is aligned, right? And and. I think it was specifically through farming, through studying different farming methods, that I started to see that the more aligned you are to the natural rhythms of nature, the more efficient your efficient and effective your agricultural system is. Uh, in the sense that you get, you know, an incredible amount of nutrients in your food, you get a tremendous amount of yield from your land, and then when you get tremendous amount of yield and tremendous amount of nutrients, then your health is also improved upon. Um, and that's when I started to draw these correlations, right, of saying, okay, why why are we doing so many things that make no sense, right, in the sense of, and I think it was really agriculture that, that spun this train of thought. Um, and it was really, I think, biodynamic farming uh, that, that blew my mind at first, which is a system of, an, an agricultural system. Um, it has a lot of implications and a lot of spiritual implications too, but at its most basic is basically farming with the cosmos. Mm -hmm. And there's scientific reasoning behind it, right, of the position of certain stars and, and you know, astronomical uh, phenomena that the influence that it has on the land. Um, science is catching up to these ancestral agricultural practices. Um, but really what, what surprised me was that biodynamic farmers don't see biodynamic farming as a practice to produce food. They see it as a spiritual practice that produces food as a byproduct mm -hmm. of that practice. Mm -hmm. So when one wonders, you know, what are we doing here? What is all this for? What is our purpose? Well, I mean, if our purpose is to cultivate our spirit, then the lowest friction way of cultivating the spirit is to do practice biodynamic farming, right? Because mm -hmm. then you'll be able to survive while cultivating your spirit. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, a, a, I think, a key part of my personal journey and exploration was this this notion of um i guess our relationship with the land mm -hmm. and this symbiotic relationship between uh humans and planet um and then all the inefficiencies that come <laughs> from that right uh, from losing that connection right that this goes you know the illusion of separation etc i mean that's usually used in the context of personal spirituality and 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 this notion right of of with we, others, yeah. Ex exactly. Yeah. But mm -hmm. seldom is it really seen from the perspective of humans and planet, mm -hmm. right? Uh, which is one and the same. I mean, if we see the human body, we're millions upon millions of bacteria, which mm -hmm. are in and of themselves their own organism. Um, so it's this very beautiful, I guess, this very beautiful vision of us really being a, a orchestra of other beings. Amazing. And so you have this insight of we're all interconnected humans and planets. What happens next? What makes you, what is that step that you take from 
having that understanding and deepening that understanding to then being like, okay, this is what that uh, what I'm going to create with this understanding. Like, how what steps did you take, and how did you get to the place where you defined that omica and like genetic testing and uh, <laughs> like mushrooms, like testing? <laughs> how, how did we get there? Um, yeah, I think the preface to all this is I was very burnt out uh, when I was living in New York. That's when I started to. It's very ironic. Like I started getting very into biodynamic agriculture and all this. Um, all these different uh, concepts and learnings, etc., from New York, which is possibly the Least, most difficult yeah. place uh, to be learning about these things. And at that time, I was very, very burnt out. I was very disappointed too with the way that the world was moving. Uh, very depressed, even, um, and just feeling like the the world was going to shit. You know, that's just constantly how I felt. And a lot of it was catalyzed or accelerated by this tumor that I got in my arm at some point, like this weird malignant tumor that I didn't know how it had come about, etc., which really spurred this thinking as to what have I done to myself and my body that my body's producing these cancerous cells, right? And that's when I started seeing that the entire city was analogous to a cancerous system, right? This notion of infinite growth, right? And you see it reflected in skyscrapers and these notions of hyperscale and this idea or these this foundational myth of modern economics around infinite growth mm -hmm. right that it assumes that economies are infinite and they will continue growing until the end of time like there is nothing more non-biological than that right <laughs> yeah uh, nothing cyclical about that <laughs> our bodies yeah. are meant to to mm -hmm. die right and, and that's another qualm that i have with all this longevity narrative that's going on which it doesn't honor death right it sees death as this sickness like death is an illness like no death is actually what if it's a feature not a bug right not to say that you can't live a longer life with higher quality of life but i think uh, a dangerous narrative that's permeating is this especially within the you know biohacking science world is that we're not supposed to die it's like, actually, I look forward to it because mm -hmm. <laughs> this is not supposed to be I'm that human. long. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah, I was in New York, very depressed, very burnt out, sort of like with all these notions in my head or, or these thoughts. Um, and I moved to Oaxaca to basically take a break for the first time ever in life to be like, hey, it's okay to take a breather. It's okay to not do anything, to not produce, to not generate or, you know, um, yeah, sort of this... this which that can be revolutionary right. sometimes as well, just taking a step out of the rat yeah. race and deciding, like, it's okay. I can just take a break. Yeah, take a break and, like, learn to see, to just see. Just see how a piece of land evolves with <laughs> the seasons. Mm -hmm. you know? Like, mm -hmm. just sit and, and watch nature do its thing. Mm -hmm. So that was very, uh, I guess, revolutionary for me, at least. Um, but then upon finding this, um, I guess this connecting thread amongst all the questions that I was having you know, around health, around humans, around planet, around biosphere, um, I was always sort of looking for this, this unity, this, this, yeah, I guess this, this connecting thread between, between all of these questions and explorations. And it all came down to DNA. Mm -hmm. like, okay, the, the only thing that is shared among all of these questions that I have is DNA, right? Mm -hmm. which is 
a very, I guess, a very mystical molecule mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's seldom seen as as what it can be, right? Even the scientific world, which is where I mostly operate on a daily basis, like the genetic code is seen as a two-dimensional string of text, mm-hmm. when in reality, I think it, it has a tremendous amount of potential that has yet to be discovered and, and understood. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps we shouldn't understood or we will never understand, but it's, if you think about it at its most basic, is the code that gives a gate to life, life within yeah. this biosphere mm-hmm. uh, or within these this dimensional spectrum. Yeah. So you decided DNA is my focus. And then what? What happens next? Well, yeah. And then I was like, okay, I need to actually make a living too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I, was, I was also at odds and being like, okay, like what's up with our economic system? What's up with capitalism? What's up with, you know, this hustle culture? And how do we go about actually um, working, for lack of a better word, in this reality um, in a different way? And at some point, I I made my peace with the fact that we need to work within existing structures to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. I think there's always a, a an evolution that we need to seek and move towards. Uh, but you you I think it's much more effective or efficient to start where things are now and change it from there. Yeah, yeah, like Maya principle, right? Most advanced yet acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of how we started. So. I wasn't sure if I wanted to do a nonprofit or a for-profit, so I did both. <laughs> then, um, just sort of exploring these two, these two frameworks mm-hmm. as to how to how to continue with these explorations. Which, at the end of the day, it's all they are. It's it's a selfish way of answering questions and making a living while asking questions. Yeah. How have you found like because one side of your business works on human like the genetic understanding for humans but also the other side the nonprofit side for mushrooms have you found them to be almost mirrors to each other and what you were saying also in like the connection between human and planetary healing like what has been the interplay that you found as you've d- gone deeper into it um, I found that they the I don't know how to say that the energetics of each of them are very different. Mm. Um, they obviously share some characteristics, but the energetics are fundamentally different in the sense that, for instance, with the nonprofit, it's a, it's a project that has a life of its own. It's a project that just keeps evolving, just keeps growing. It's like very low maintenance. Um, it could use some more maintenance, <laughs> on my <laughs> end, to be honest, but like it just keeps evolving and growing and it's magnetic and, and it's... Um, it's a labor of love. Like it's a, it's a. Inadvertently, we built this like decentralized organization of scientists doing really amazing research on conservation and psychedelics and and all that. Um, basically, out of people donating their time, their energy, their resources, their work, um, their code, their supplies, their, they travel the world to meet with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like a very, very beautiful example of what happens when things are done simply for the sake of doing mm-hmm. uh, without any sort of private gain or, or expected return or anything like that. Um, and on the business side, I, I, on the for-profit side, I do see that it's, it's a lot more of, of this old world 
sort of like okay you gotta like chisel right you gotta like <laughs> make it happen a little bit more mm-hmm. you gotta run uphill a lot of the time and and there there are energetics around it where it's like i i borrow a lot from the nonprofit of saying okay this i could charge for but what if i give it away for free mm-hmm. the moment i do that like things unlock right gates open um things get a little bit easier so now the question is how do i keep sustaining this business while also borrowing from this nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a way of distributing value um, that that can be very clever and in ways that you're not extracting value from people who need it. Mm-hmm. Right? So a lot of the the genetic testing that we do on humans and, and stuff like that, it's, it's free for people, essentially. Um, especially in Mexico that it's not covered by insurance. It's incredibly difficult to get access to. Um, a lot of the families that need the sort of uh, testing, you know, to improve their, you know, child's treatment or whatnot, um, wouldn't be able to afford it. Uh, the moment that you make that free, mm-hmm. it sort of, yeah, it unlocks everything, right? And and I don't, I don't yet have a model that I can be like, okay, this is built and it's tested and it's ready to go. But I think that there's a lot that the for profits can learn from the nonprofit space. Yeah. Um, and vice versa too, you know. I think it's amazing how you've in a way established a sense of symbiosis between a for profit and a nonprofit in the same way that you were seeing like the human and planetary healing and how can both there not be separation but both coexist and not mm-hmm. just coexist but nourish each other and support each other and help each yeah. other grow. So that's incredible. Um Tell me more about um, the structures of business before you talked about how uh, economic structures are in a way almost like cancers and cancer cells. Like, and you and I have had conversations about like the underpinnings of business and how they're really rooted in colonialism and like the colonization of systems be, uh, like made them what they are today. Um, what do you think tell us more about this idea of like what has shaped business today and what are some of the limitations as a result of those historical contexts that have created what we have now yeah i think our our current models are the result of a like a mythological cascade like in the sense that we have these underlying myths that have conditioned generation after generation after generation of humans mm-hmm. uh, that have been passed down, right? Things from, you know, the Bible saying that the earth belongs to Adam and so does Eve and he's able to do whatever he wants with <laughs> both women and planet. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> like that is a foundational myth of modern society, at least Christian Catholic society. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a few like that that I think have have terribly terribly affected our relationship with ourselves with another with community with the planet um so in terms of business i i really think the if you know to anyone who's looking to design or to adopt a different structure or to continue evolving this in a more um in a more humane and more natural way uh, it's really checking these foundational myths right and understanding where do they live within us mm-hmm. um and also taking inspiration from what existed prior to those myths right when you speak about colonization is uh there's a really interesting notion of wetiko mm-hmm. which is a a term for a 
consciousness virus or mental virus that the Algonquin used to use for colonizers that came to the Americas. Uh, and it was a virus that infected the soul of a human being that made him want to take advantage of another human being. And the result was that both people ended up with icy hearts. Mm. Uh, so this beautiful notion of, of, um, of ideas being essentially mental viruses, right? And, and memetics essentially becoming a way of contagion uh, of contagion of said ideas, mm-hmm. right? And in a world like today where we have these platforms, you know, like social media, the internet, etc., where you can essentially distribute a mental virus within seconds, I think it's more important than ever to really be aware of what myths are we putting out there, mm-hmm. right? For better or for worse, right? Because there's also, um, I think it's, it's just awareness. I think it's going back to awareness and being like, okay, what myths are living within me? And what myths am I acting on? And am I aligned to them or am I not? Mm-hmm. Uh, that takes a lot of space. Yeah. What do you think now are some of like the most critical myths that we're buying into? And how can we rethink these myths? I think the... I mean, it p- depends on what you mean when we, you say we. Mm-hmm. But at least, for instance, the community that, that surrounds you and me personally i think there's a lot of uh, i think the most dangerous myth maybe not a myth but the most dangerous concept is that of spiritual materialism which uh, was coined by chogyam uh, trungpa long time ago which was uh, how the western world being so i guess hungry or thirsty for eastern philosophy uh, he even said it back in i think it was the 50s or 60s where he was like well the, the western mind the western mentality is very susceptible to co-opting the spiritual practice in service of the ego. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think that's a very dangerous myth because it can be very damaging, right? When you're leading with the same old myth, but with a new veneer of spirituality and awareness and consciousness. But in reality, you're spewing the same BS that was being spewed by generations before. The difference is generations before were far more aware that they well, <laughs> and outspoken about what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Now it's a little bit of, it's hidden, right? It's hidden within narratives. And I think that becomes especially, especially uh, dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and like now that you're the CEO of a company, how have you been able to break through these myths? I know you and I have worked together and constantly doing that and defining like what is the culture of a company and how can we break the traditional ideas of like what does a company need to do and how do employees need to operate and also like you stepping into your power and uh, you seeing like what is the relationship that you can establish with investors and how to call them in like what are some of the things that in order for you to create this new paradigm of business that you want to develop with your company uh, what are some of the things that you have personally have to dissolve uh and break away from um i think is this i mean from the top of my head is this hustle culture like you know constantly feeling like you're falling behind right like business is designed or entrepreneurship is designed to constantly feel like it's you have to do more faster bigger no and I think the first step is taking a step back and getting space and evaluating what is the old paradigm and what is the new paradigm that needs to be built. Um, Also realizing that 
these, you know, quote unquote companies, whatever, at the end of the day, they're just pastimes. Mm -hmm. Like we do not need business. I don't think we do not need 99% of the crap that's out there in the world. They're just pastimes <laughs> at the end of the day. So it's remembering like if I'm doing this is because it's how I want to spend my time and energy um, and working from there. Mm -hmm. Right of saying, okay, I'm going to act from a place that makes me feel good. Um, and I think that's a nice hack in the sense of if everybody acts from a place that makes them feel good with enough awareness, then things will sort of, the course will correct because I, I don't think there's a lot of people who feel good doing bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can for a while, right? Until you're, you know, you get some self-awareness, but yeah. I think it's cultivating self-awareness, which is also slippery. and Yeah. And something I think you always go back to is like, what vision am I serving or what higher purpose am I serving? Right. And so you don't get too lost in like the human yeah. dynamics because you're always like centered around this vision for human and planetary healing. Yeah. Which seems like, like very, sounds very, very big, but at the end of the day, it's, it's as big as it, it'll be as big as it needs to be mm -hmm. in the sense that there's also this notion, especially around, you know, specific types of entrepreneurship and specific types of, you know, like uh, venture capital and where scale is a, is a very important factor, right? Will this scale, is this venture scale? Like things like that, right? Um, and I guess that's the magnitude of the problem that that one is trying to solve, but it really boils down to doing it for you. And the the scale that one should think about is the scale of oneself, right? Is this filling me, without filling me too much, right? Where I'm now overfilled and drowning in <laughs> in in fullness, exactly. Um, and that has been a very nice um, a very nice feeling too of knowing that at the end of the day. I'm doing this for me. Mm -hmm. And yes, there is a higher purpose and yes, there is a trajectory and then, you know, there's all this other stuff. But when one starts thinking about doing it for oneself, it also opens the door to collaboration. Yeah. Right? And I because think there's a, sorry, I think there's like a, a Venn diagram in like service of self and service of others or service mm -hmm. of a higher power. And like, they don't have to, it, you don't have to choose one or the other. Often service of self involves service of yeah. others. And that's, I mean, back to the spiritual materialism thing, right? Uh, so many people want to be of service, yet they are seldom of service to themselves. Mm -hmm. Or they show up to every community event, but they won't talk to their parents, right? And it's like, okay, fix, fix yourself, your home, your space first, and then be of service to others. Or mm -hmm. try to align your personal work with your community work and your worldly work. But fundamentally, I mean, this meat suit is our only container and our 24 hours a day are the only it's our only capacity mm -hmm. you know and and working from there like i was saying what opens up to a lot of collaboration because we understand our own limits mm -hmm. and it it creates this notion of of synarchy of of combining multiple people's efforts into one coherent uh orchestra or ensemble mm -hmm. um, which is contradictory to a lot of business, right? Business is all about competition. It's all about being first. It's all about uh, keeping secrets and keeping things to yourself. And it loses a lot of this biological intelligence of collaboration, coexistence, symbiosis, um, which I think are the foundational myths, the foundational myths that we should follow our biological truths. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, which that was my next question. Like, what role do you think ancestral wisdom can play in business? Ancestral meaning spiritual or natural or from indigenous cultures in, in building businesses and going back to those foundational, I think they're platitudes really of like connection um, so that we can operate in like a new way. Mm, I think um, I think it's two two main concepts. Um, one of them being stewardship versus ownership, which is the fact that rather than owning something, you're carrying something, right? You're n nurturing something uh, that has a life of its own. Um, and the other one is reciprocity, right? So reciprocity and stewardship are two main. Uh, driving forces, I think, in this new business paradigm. Um, reciprocity is sometimes, I think, mislabeled or misguided in a way because then you fall into this whole, you know, the, the quote-unquote white, ma white man's burden, right, mm, of giving mm -hmm. aid rather than actually building a business that is reciprocal from the start, right, mm -hmm. um, or from inception. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's back again to this interplay between for-profit and non-profit and how, how both of these very limited and restricted paradigms can learn from each other. Um, and I, I haven't seen, I mean, the, the B Corps are a nice approach. Um, there's definitely groundwork being done around this, but uh, I think there's still a lot, of, a lot of designing that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, and stewardship is another very beautiful one where... Also, even like legal structures and, and legal structures being these, I mean, at the end of the day, they're pieces of paper with words on them with signatures, right? So they're, in a way, they're spells. <laughs> mm -hmm. And these spells say that somebody owns something. And that's very bizarre. It's very strange um, because it creates this, yeah, I guess this spell, right? That says that you own whatever asset, be it a piece of land or whatever. And then when you die, your will, which is another spell, it's going to give that to the person that you designate and so on and so forth uh, instead of seeing ideas and explorations and creations as something that has a life of its own. Mm -hmm. um, so I wonder, I mean, there's, there's, certain, there's certain models that are very interesting. I mean, one of them is actually OpenAI, which has a lot of, I don't know if they're still like this, but they were born out of uh, what's called a limited, uh, a capped profit corporation. Mm which is actually, I think, a very forward-thinking way of aligning the incentives of this sort of old paradigm with new paradigm, which basically, I mean, I mean, these are ridiculous numbers now, but they were like, initial investors will get a return of at most, like, I don't know, like... <laughs> like a couple million. No, it was like <laughs> something absurd. It was like $2 trillion in, <laughs> in return. <laughs> and after that, the company becomes a uh, non-profit. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, that's actually, I mean, that's very interesting mm -hmm. right despite you know regardless of what we think about the company or whatnot the original foundational structure again i don't know if they still have this structure or they changed it is a very interesting way of incentivizing this innovation which is the argument for private property right mm -hmm. the whole tragedy of the commons which is another foundational myth that i think we need to challenge um it incentivizes that sort of private investment of people acting out of private gain of essentially humans being selfish creatures and biological creatures are also selfish creatures. Um, mushrooms will colonize any substrate that they're on. Um, so beyond morality, I think it's, it's yes, people are selfish creatures. People will act out of self-interest. How do you incentivize risk-taking 
right, to build these, you know, massive endeavors, which could be very beneficial in certain cases, uh, while also making sure that it's not perpetuating this, um, I guess, possessiveness over mm -hmm. collective intelligence, mm -hmm. uh, which is another another topic, right? Another, I think, foundational myth is that our ideas are ours. <laughs> and that's something that I think science is in quantum physics and quantum mechanics and a lot of very interesting work is being done around morphogenic fields and the fact that idea, ideas exist in a collective consciousness. Right. Transfer of energy. Transfer of energy. So if, you know, you get an idea and I get a similar idea, why would we compete if we're both sort of perceiving the same thing from the, the cosmic soup? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you obviously work a lot with psychedelics. Um, what role do you think that psychedelics and their wisdom can play in creating this new paradigm for business? Um, I think psychedelics are a very powerful and immediate tool to perceive that... Um, to become aware of this notion of separation. Um, and with that comes a whole array of realizations or that can come from that glimpse. Um, I don't think psychedelics are for everyone, nor do I think that they are the only way to achieve this sort of level of insight, but it's definitely a very efficient <laughs> way of, <laughs> of gaining this insight. Um, and I think it boils down to awareness. I think it's any tool that drives awareness, being a walk in nature, meditation, play, um, presence, is a powerful force to design this, uh, this new paradigm. But what would help is also to have, I guess, more discussions as to what, <laughs> what this new paradigm looks like, right? mm -hmm. like. From this place of awareness, what contradictions do we see? in our daily practice, in our business practice, and, and try to address those contradictions with gentleness, because I think a lot of them are very difficult to address, um, especially if you're trying to be, if one is trying to be, I guess, yeah, I guess a gentle evolution. And that's how I see it. It's like, how do we elevate or evolve as opposed to being like everything that's been done is bad or wrong because like there's been so many benefits to capitalism and to the current structures and to business but like how could we look at what's working and keep that but also look at what's not and like look at what are those things that just need to be tweaked so we can create something a little more harmonious with humanity with nature with like something that doesn't lead us down a path that it, what I see is currently happening of just like going down this path of like I think you said it perfectly like this cancerous route and so how could we detect that uh, at the early stages and look at like okay what are some of the things that are getting us there and how can we prevent that from continuing so that it doesn't get bigger I mean I think it, back to psychedelics it's, it's not only this dissolution this glimpse into the dissolution of self, but it's also the proximity to death. Mm -hmm. right? uh, so many people claim, you know, to have experienced like near-death experiences in psychedelics, actual full death <laughs> and transcendent experiences during psychedelics, and that can be a very powerful tool to to also come to terms that infinite growth is a fallacy. Mm -hmm. That infinite life is, I wouldn't say a fallacy. Infinite life because we are part of a system that is constantly evolving. Um, but our 
unique perspective within it in this, you know, uh, encapsulated experience that is our life and the notion of me, um, that it's only temporary. Mm -hmm. And with that is, okay, how do I want to spend my nights and days? Uh, what do I want to do that's makes me feel good? And it makes me feel good to have other people feel good and the people that work at this company to feel good and, and for people to be on this constant path of evolution. Um, I think that's what it really boils down to. Um, so we've talked about your business, um, the underpinnings of business structures, um, and then hinted at like this idea of like a new paradigm for business. Um, if we like were to create a vision for that new paradigm, um, what, what would that look like for you? A new paradigm of business, I think it's collaborative. I really like this capped profit model because it's a very beautiful transition from one world to another because shifting things or evolution takes risk, right? So creating something new takes risk because you essentially are destroying something that is currently existing in a way. And we need a new paradigm that incentivizes this risk taking, but also make sure that things that are being created are aligned to this vision of, of coherence and this vision of harmony and this vision of, I guess harmony is the best way of putting it. Um, business should be harmonious and it should feel, yeah, it should be collaborative, it should be harmonious, it should be aligned. Um, and we need the, A, the legal structures to do that. Mm -hmm. And B, we need to unlearn a lot of traditional business practices. A lot of like MBA, BS, like needs to be, <laughs> needs to be eradicated because Tell it's, me about it. <laughs> it's incredibly dangerous, right? It's incredibly dangerous. It's, it's back to Wetiko, mm -hmm. right? It's a lot of practices that leave everybody with an icy heart. Yeah. And what's the point of living in a world where everybody has an icy heart? And like you said, it's like then we feed off of those myths and we're all operating from that place and trying to recreate more from that place. And then it's just a, an ongoing spiral started with a foundation of a myth yeah and it's um i mean there's there's very there's a lot of structural challenges around this new business paradigm too right um when you talk about financing for instance you can have um i mean you need to align right the entrepreneurs with these new legal structures and these new legal structures need buy-in from the people who are going to be the financial backers to this project so now you need funds who are also aligned to this vision and in that sense you need their LPs or their you know the funds own investors to be aligned with this um, so it really trickles down or trickles back to I guess the origins of a lot of this uh, wealth accumulation and capital which is was funded on a notion of amassing wealth which in a way may be contradictory to um, to this new paradigm not necessarily I'm not saying it's bad but it might have not been aligned, right? The way of accumulating that wealth might have not been aligned. All right, so I think it boils down to, to really working with a lot of these different stakeholders, to a lot of these different stakeholders within the, bu the business ecosystem um, to incentivize and, and reward uh, businesses that act and operate uh, towards this, this new vision of a, of a stewardship-guided uh, business models. Mm -hmm. or businesses yeah. I think you touched on something really important of like how this is really a down, downstream effect because sometimes entrepreneurs can have the most beautiful visions and desires and alignment and harmony and all of that but then once we get to the point where we need investment and 
those investors need to show returns and those like systems are kind of laying the foundations that prevent that original intention from really being fulfilled because then all of these distortions um, come into play. That really seems to be like the underlying blocker for for that distortion to continue like what do you think can be done in those instances of preventing those structures and those systems from taking originally beautiful ideas and getting corrupted along the way um i think it's about thinking in terms of ecosystems and i don't think we see i mean at least in this brand of entrepreneurship and sort of this you know vc led innovation you don't really see a lot of ecosystem uh thinking ecosystem based thinking and and you know if we were to apply this sort of biomimicry to investing then you'd see that the economics of a lot of these venture funds are completely out of whack because from inception ar- architecturally they are not designed for this new paradigm in the sense that if you invest in 100 companies expecting 99% of them to fail then you're one winner it's sort of like a winner takes all right and in order for that one company to give you that 100x 1000x return that the venture funds are expecting then you really are forcing that company to operate under this very old paradigm of annihilating everything around it mm-hmm. right and i think that's problematic and kind of dumb honestly because there's i think much more effective ways of allocating energy and nature has taught us that you know in any just look at a terrarium you no know, or look at a piece of a sample of soil and you'll see that there's very very efficient energy transfer uh, happening within biological ecosystems. And it goes back to this illusion of separation between man and nature, where we believe that social structures are not uh, compatible with biological truths. And I think that might be like some form of like block or trauma that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that we have, where mm-hmm. we don't want to admit that we're animals fundamentally. Um, but it'd be interesting. It'd be really interesting to study a lot of a lot of these populations and see what we can learn from biological ecosystems and reapply them to human innovation. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Victor, thank you so much. Uh, usually at the end of the podcast, I ask uh, people a few questions to um, get your final thoughts. You, you talked about your vision for how we, business can be creating this new earth and how we can redefine a new paradigm for business. What's one inspired action that people can take to create this vision? One inspired action, um, thinking in synergies. I guess thinking about what can they give away for free that's going to create an outsized return at a higher order. Can you give us an example? (laughs) (laughs) So I think thinking about business models in a more indirect way, right? Thinking about, I mean, this, this... vision of cascades right and and sort of second order third order effects is about thinking about your business in terms of the second and third order impact and value that's going to be generated um so rather than going into oh i'm going to monetize this like first order uh energy exchange and i'm going to profit off of this energy exchange is thinking more about how biological systems operate which is that the net value generated by an ecosystem happens at a higher order so it happens in second and third order Uh, dynamics rather than in an immediate energy exchange Um, so that comes I think with long-term thinking and it's it's yeah for entrepreneurs is like think about what you can give away for free today that long-term will give you uh, will provide you and your stakeholders and 
uh, outsized uh, energetic return. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And then last question. Um, if you had a magic wand, um, what's your dream for a world where we merged ancestral wisdom with business? If I had a magic wand, I would, I think it would make every business give a vast amount of their profits back to <laughs> land conservation and regeneration <laughs> um, and see what happens from there. Beautiful. I think Patagonia is, uh, it's the model. Yeah. Victor, you are one of the most inspiring people I know. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today and for the work that you do in creating new models in thinking about how we can live and work more in symbiosis with nature and humans. So thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening, whoever's listening. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Ciao.